Hey, good morning, faith family. Let's say hello to those in our venue as well. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. Don't be fooled by the video that you just saw. That's a little kind of a coming soon trailer. Uh, Our hope is two weeks from today to start a new series called I Am. It's going to be our series leading up to Easter. We're going to look at the I Am statements in the Gospel of John that reveal to us things about who Jesus is. Like what does it mean that he's the bread of life? What does it mean that he's living water? And all that will take us up to what does it mean that I am the resurrection and the life? Okay, so that's the series that we're going to be getting into two weeks from today, which means today and next week, Lord willing, we finish up uh, the book of Acts, which we've spent about five to six months in and uh, just had just great feedback on what God has been challenging us with about being people and about being a people that are on mission. And I love the testimonies of what God is doing and just how you're thinking about life differently. And boy, this morning is certainly going to be one of those. So if you could please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 27 and verse 21. Luke is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, Since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, You should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. So when the fourteenth night had come and they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. They took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again, and this time fifteen fathoms. Fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the seas under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes in the ship's boat and let it go. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. So therefore I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks in the presence of all and broke it and began to eat. And then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were all about 276 persons in the ship and When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now skip to verse 1, chapter 28. And when they were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. And the native people showed us some unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
bringing us here today. Um, I'm convinced on purpose there are people in this place that need this message, and all of us in this place will need at some point this message. Change our perspective on life, change our hearts. By your spirit and your word we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. He was the 26th President of the United States and the youngest to ever hold the office. In fact, before he became President, he was also the youngest elected official to the New York State Assembly in Albany. If you know your U.S. presidents or your U.S. history, you know that I'm speaking about Theodore Roosevelt. But what you may not know is that several months before he was elected to the New York State Assembly, uh, Roosevelt married his high school sweetheart, a lady by the name of Miss Alice Lee. A few months after they were married, much to their joy and delight, they became pregnant. Nine months later, while Roosevelt is serving in Albany, he receives a telegram that says, your wife has just given birth to your daughter. And Roosevelt is thrilled. He is so happy. Look at the guy. He's so happy. He's handing out cigars to everybody. It's one of the most joyful moments of his life. But his mood will quickly change when he will receive in just a few moments another telegram that says, get home quickly, Alice isn't doing well. Roosevelt rushed to the nearest train station, got on the first train home, and he walked into the front doors of his home, and he was met by his brother Elliot with words he would never forget. He said, Ted, your wife is dying downstairs. And our mother is dying upstairs. His mom had typhoid fever. His wife had a kidney disease that had been undetected because of the pregnancy. And on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, 1884 at 3 a.m. in the morning, Theodore Roosevelt would lose his wife and his mom in the same home. His diary entry for that day was nothing but an X. With the inscription that read, the light has gone out of my life. Let me ask you, can you imagine going through something like that? I've shared with you before as a youth pastor one time getting the news early one morning. There were two teenage girls in my youth group and I was called to rush to the hospital. And when I got to the emergency room, they told me right away that their mom had died that morning suddenly with a massive heart attack. Six months later, their dad will face open heart surgery and he will not make it through the surgery. In six months, mom and dad gone. Sometimes adversity is like a blood-sucking leech that cannot get enough. 
Have you ever been there? When you're like Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50, where it is one sack after another, one hit after another, one punch after another, like your life is in the middle of a perfect storm. Friends, it's exactly where Paul is in Acts 27. But it's not just Acts 27 that gives us the account of this metaphorical storm as well as this physical storm. In fact, in Acts chapter 20 last week, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and the Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm going to be put in prison there. Acts 21, he goes to Jerusalem and he's put in prison. He faces trial after trial after trial until they ship him off to Caesarea. Acts 24, he gets to Caesarea. Guess what happens in Caesarea? He gets put in prison again. And he's threatened with assassination. Until they ship him off to Rome. And now in Acts 27, he's on this journey to Rome as a prisoner. And he finds himself in this massive, massive storm. And it is here in Acts 27 that Paul will almost drown in the Mediterranean. Hasn't eaten for two weeks. Has soldiers that want to kill him has to jump overboard and swim his way to land. And when he gets to land, gets bitten by a snake. Now, Luke has the audacity in Acts chapter 28, verse 16 to just say, and we arrived at Rome. (laughs) And I'm like, what, Luke? Is that all you got? Like, Oh, we arrived at Rome. Like at this point, I'm saying, to whom do I send the resignation letter to? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? I mean, it's one thing to be in prison after prison. It's another thing to go two weeks without food. But snakes, snakes, I'm out. I'm going to be honest with you, faith family. When you get me around snakes, this is what I turn into. Anybody with me? Come on, venue, anybody? Like, how many of you, show of hands, hate snakes? How many of you, like me, believe every snake in all the world should die a horrible death? And it's biblical. I'm telling you, by the time we get to Acts 28 and there's a viper hanging off my arm, I'm done. Which leads us to the first very, very, very important point. Paul went through adversity. Now here's what you're thinking. He went to seminary for that, Captain Obvious. But I'm going to take a moment to talk about a point that simple because it addresses a real misunderstanding in the Christian faith. So I need you to draw in here and listen. The misconception we often have is that the more I serve, the less I should have to suffer. Get that out of your mind. 
Well, the more I serve Jesus, the better my life should be. Wrong. It's one thing when adversity and suffering is the response of sin in our life. It's consequences that we've brought on ourselves. But what Acts 27 is about is Paul, the good guy, the great missionary, the writer of much of the New Testament, is going through layer after layer after layer of adversity, which begs the question, is this how God treats his children? Is this how God treats his children? Now, one of the things we are here at Berean is real. Right? Don't I challenge you a lot to say, don't come in here and wear a mask. Let's be real about the Christian faith. There are times in our Christian journey where we want to turn to God and say, could you please turn the faucet off? I'm drowning here. Enough is enough. That's a real feeling. And yet, Paul's going through one thing after another, meaning sometimes it appears in life that God is not as merciful to his children as we would be to ours. It doesn't seem like God is treating his children the way we would treat our children because when we think about our children, we do everything we can at all cost to keep them safe and to avoid danger. We put helmets on them when they're children to protect them. We wrap them in bubble wrap when they go outside to play so they don't get hurt. Some of you moms bathe them daily in hand sanitizer so that they don't get any germs. And yet God seems to be leading his apostle to anything but safety. So here's what I want you to know. God doesn't treat his children the way we would treat ours. And that's because his purpose for his children is greater than ours. Paul's life doesn't exist for self-preservation. Paul's life doesn't exist for self-protection. Paul's life exists for gospel advancement. Which means if people in a storm are going to hear the good news, then he'll put his apostle right in the middle of it. Isaac Watts wrote this. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fight to win the prize and sail the bloody seas? Faith family, get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. Perfect attendance does not exempt you from the school of adversity. Your path of obedience may be in the path of the storm. Paul went through adversity, but notice that Paul, and this is the point I want to drive home to you today, he witnessed in adversity. Notice verse 21. It says that since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I now urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And if you keep reading, Paul will say, I got this vision from God, from this angel of God, the God to whom I belong, the God to whom I serve. Here's the point. In the storm. Are you listening? Say yes. In the storm, Paul bears witness to God. 
And Luke tells us there's about 276 people on this ship. And to my best calculation, I can only come up with three who are likely Christians, which means this. Christianity is on display in how they handle the storm. If Paul acts like everybody else acts, then how can I find hope in Jesus? So I want to show you three amazing things that Paul does in the storm that bears witness to those on board the ship. The first thing he does is he serves the people who rejected him. Notice back before they get on this ship to set sail, what happens in verse 10. Paul says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Now, Paul hasn't had the vision yet that everybody's going to make it safely. He's just smart enough to know there are certain times of the year you don't sail the Mediterranean, and this is one of them. It is not wise to go on this journey, but notice how they respond, verse 11. The centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Let me ask you something. You ever given somebody advice and they ignored it? Anybody? Anybody ever like been rejected? Anybody ever had your feelings hurt? Anybody ever had somebody turn their back on you? Paul tries to give them wisdom and share with them counsel, and he turned, they turn their back on him, and yet notice what he does in verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. If I'm Paul, here's what I'm tempted to do. God has told me that they're going to be safe. But because they rejected me, they hurt me, they turned their back on me, I think I'll just keep this message to myself and make them squirm a little while. But Paul doesn't do that, does he? This will preach. Paul doesn't let his pride get in the way of his witness. Paul does not let his pride get in the way of his witness. The very people who ignored him are the very people he's serving and encouraging and edifying because Paul won't let the storm take his focus off the mission. Here's the second thing he does. He speaks up for what's right even though he knows he's going to be hated. As some of the sailors begin to sense they're getting close to land, they decide they're going to escape. Let's get off the ship. I mean, this thing's dangerous. Let's get out. And notice what Paul does in verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship... And it lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. That is physically saved. Then the soldiers cut away the rope of the ship's boat and let it go. Now you've got to get your minds into the setting here. There are, Paul's a prisoner. He doesn't have any authority. I mean, he's a nobody when it comes to power on this ship. 
And yet, there are some soldiers, some sailors about to escape, and what does he do? He stands up because he knows that if they jump, they die. And he's so concerned about their life, he's so concerned about their safety, that he's willing to stand up and speak the truth, knowing they'll hate him for it. In fact, if you read later on in the text, they want to kill him, but the centurion won't let it happen. Can you imagine how awkward it's going to be on this ship for Paul to be around the very people he had just called out? That is more awkward than puppy, monkey, baby. (laughs) Seriously, how many of you are watching the Super Bowl and just like, oh, what in the world? This is so awkward. Times that by a million. And that's how awkward it is for Paul to be on this ship with people that he's just called out. I wonder if we in the midst of the storm are willing to stand up and speak for what's right, even if it means awkwardness. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm going to see them at the family reunion next year. You don't don't understand. My cubicle's right next to their cubicle at work. You don't understand. I live next to them. I got to see them every day in my responses. And why do you think God put you on that ship? Why do you think God put you at that job? Why do you think he put you at that cubicle? Why do you think he put you in that neighborhood? I wonder in the midst of the storm if you'll have the courage to speak for what's right even if it means others may not like it. Here's the third thing he does. Is he shakes off what others think would kill him. He shakes off what others think will kill him. Verse 1 of chapter 28. After they were brought safely through, when we learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Let me pause right there. We'll pick this back up in verse 3, but I want to take a little side trail for something that I think is important. How many of you, when you've been going through the storms of life, have had one of those moments when God just poured out some unusual kindness that you didn't see coming. You know, it was like one thing after another, one hit after another, and every corner that I come around, I tend to get punched in the gut, and you come around the corner, and there's just a gift of grace waiting for you. And you didn't even see it coming. Like Paul has faced one thing after another, and then Luke wants to make sure we see when they got on the island, they're given unusual kindness. They didn't see it coming. And this happens in my life, if I could be so transparent with you. Uh, I struggle in life like you struggle in life. I struggle in my personal life. Uh, Some of you fight depression. Depression is something that some in my family have struggled with. At times I fight it. There's times I fight under the weight of week in, week out, preaching the Word of God. Uh, I will walk with people through suffering, and it breaks my heart, and it weighs me down. And there's just points, it's not all the time, but there are seasons when I think it'd just be a lot easier to cut the ropes and quit. Can I be real with you like that? And here's what happens. You send me an email. Totally out of the blue. About what the gospel is doing in your life. About what the gospel is doing in your family. And it so encourages my heart 
that that little bit of unusual kindness in the midst of even my little storm is a reminder of God's amazing grace. I tell you, if you're going through the storm, God is sending some unusual kindness your way. Open your eyes to see it. God is gracious in the storm. Amen? Let's pick up in verse 3. This is the gross part. Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and put them in the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And while the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand throw up, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him, and they changed their minds and said, He was a god. (laughs) Now, this is not normative, okay? Uh, This doesn't typically happen in the Christian life, and I'm so thankful for that. But here's the principle that we take away from it. Are you ready? Unbelievers are watching how you suffer. When the snake of adversity is wrapped around your neck, people are watching to see if this hope in Jesus is real. Does it hurt? You better believe it hurts. Does Paul flinch? I'm sure he does. Maybe he even sheds a tear. But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't take Paul away from the mission. Why is that? Paul is able to serve people that reject him. He's able to speak truth to those that will hate him. And he's able to endure pain. And keep going in suffering in the storm. And I wonder, faith family, does that remind you of anybody? Don't you see, if we want a life where everybody listens to us and we never have to stand for what's right and we never have to endure any pain, we're not carrying a cross. Because the cross reminds us that we live in a storm-tossed, sin-filled world. And we are called to be missionaries in adversity. That's the perspective that Paul has. Two years from now, you're not going to remember this sermon. But I hope you'll remember this phrase. God may not call you on mission overseas, but He will call you on mission through stormy seas. Adversity in the Christian life is not to deter you from the mission. It is the mission. Adversity is a mission field whereby we are able to give witness to God. And I would submit that's the very different difference between Paul and do you remember our good buddy Jonah? You thought I'd forgot about Jonah? Not so fast. When you read this, is this not like vaguely familiar? 
in the book of Jonah, and yet what's the difference? Jonah slept, Paul served. Jonah goes down below, Paul stands up and speaks. Jonah's thrown overboard, Paul witnesses on board, and here's the difference. Jonah is facing this storm because he refused the mission of God. Paul sees this storm as the mission of God. Do you? Can you embrace the adversity in your life as the mission field by which God has called you to bear witness? This is exactly what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Often these verses are cute. In fact, we made a little children's song out of them. Here's what the verses say. You're the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you remember the little song? Right? Say it with me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm a choir director. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Isn't that cute? The problem is the two verses right before these. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Those verses aren't meant to be cute. In fact, here's how the song should be sung. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Even through the storms of life, I'm going to let it shine. Because where do you need light? Darkness. Where do you need light? Darkness. There are people in need who are going through storms right now and they need to see that Jesus is the only hope in the storm. When the cancer returns, when you're unfairly terminated from your job, when somebody walks all over your heart, when the blood-sucking leech of adversity is sucking everything out of you, they need to know that Jesus is your Norm Anderson, who was a Christian professor in London, he lost his three adult children. His wife of 60 years developed dementia and couldn't recognize him. In an interview late in his life, he was asked this, have you ever looked back over your life and asked, why me? Here's what he said, it's profound. No, I've never asked that. What I've asked is why not me? Because as a Christian, I'm not promised to escape adversity. I am promised the presence of God is with me and will give me grace to bear witness. Paul went through adversity. Paul witnessed through adversity. But notice finally, Paul worshipped through adversity. Look at verse 33. 
As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today's the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It'll give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Now, I think that the natural reading of this text is that this is a meal. And that's what, they haven't eaten in, in two weeks. And so uh, the sense is that they're, they're having a meal to get full nourishment. But boy, verse 35 sounds familiar. And he took bread and gave thanks. Does that ring a bell? I mean, it sounds like communion. It sounds like Lord's Supper. But either way, what we know is in the storm, Paul is giving thanks to God. Isn't that amazing? And it makes me ask this, like, how could Paul do this? I mean, do you ever read things like this and just feel like this is so like out of the ordinary and how I would respond? And I can only think of two things. Either, first of all, Paul is simply Superman. I mean, he, he's, just, he's the man of steel, like nothing ever phases him and everything just bounces off of him. I mean, he's just, he just walks around like, what's up? Is that all you got? I mean, that's just, that's just his approach to life. But the problem with that is Acts chapter 18, when Paul gets so discouraged in ministry, he's afraid and God has to speak to him in a vision and say, Paul, don't fear, keep preaching. There are people in this city who will believe. He's not Superman. And that's really encouraging to ordinary Christians like me. So what is it? How can Paul worship in the storm? It's because I believe that he knows three things. And it's what you need to know in your storm. And here they are. Number one, you can always trust the Word of God. Always. Look at verse 23. Paul says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those to sail with you. In other words, God gives Paul a direct word. And Paul believes that word to be true. And you would say, if God would give me a direct word, I would believe. And I would say to you, he has. In fact, he's given you more than the apostle Paul had. He's given you all the promises you need right here in his written word. And not only has he given you his written word, he's given you himself, the word. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Hebrews 1, God has spoken to us in these last days through his Son. Christian, you have the person of the Word and you have the written Word. Trust Him. Trust it in the midst of your storm. It's the only way you're ever going to be able to worship. Here's the second thing that Paul knew. is He knew not only that he could trust the Word of God, he knew that he could cling to the promises of God. In fact, notice the flow of what Luke is showing us. Like in verse 22, there will be no loss of life among you. Verse 24, you must stand before Caesar. Verse 34, 
For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Do you see? Do you see? Over and over again, all of you are going to make it. Everybody's going to survive. And then look what verse 44 says. Last phrase. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Do you see what Luke's trying to say? Every time God gives you a promise, you can take it to the bank. It may not come to pass the way you think it will, but every promise of God is true. When God says you're going to make it through the storm, you're going to make it through the storm. When God says you're going to get to Rome, you're going to get to Rome. When God says you're going to stand before Caesar, you're going to stand before Caesar. When God makes a promise, you can count on it and cling to it in the midst of the storm. And here's the last thing Paul knew is he knew that he could hope. And that hope is not a, well, I hope so. It's an assurance. That's what hope is in the Bible. It's an assurance. He could hope in the sovereignty of God. Verse 25. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. I love that. Here's what Paul is saying. My God is sovereign over the ends, getting to Rome. And He is sovereign over the means, the storm that I'm going through. I have faith in God, and I believe this is going to come to pass exactly the way God has said it will, because my God is sovereign over all of life. You say, you talk about that a lot. Absolutely. Because the last thing you need in a storm is a small God. And I understand we talk about in our theological circles the sovereignty of God and how does that relate with the decisions of human beings. And yeah, there's a tension. There's a mystery. The problem's on our end, not God's end. But I'll tell you this. If God's not sovereign over all, He's not sovereign at all. God cannot be sovereign over the means and not also be sovereign sovereign over the ends and not also be sovereign over the means. It's illogical. Paul knows, however this is going to work out, here's what I can put my life on. God is in control every moment of this storm. And without that, you won't be able to worship. Without that, you'll hope so. Well, maybe something good will come out of this. I sure hope so. That's not hope. Hope is assurance that bigger than my mind can understand and bigger than my heart can fully feel, my life is in God's hand and it's safe there. No matter what I'm going through right now, How could Paul worship in the storm? I'll tell you how he could worship in the storm. It's because he trusted in the Word of God and he clung to the promises of God and he hoped in the sovereignty of God. And when we get there, through a lot of pain, Through a lot of tears, like people that have been coming up to me this morning, just 
bawling. You, you don't even know, Pastor, how I needed this word today. You're going to get to the point where you look adversity right in the face and say, you, you don't scare me. I've seen your face before, but my God will deliver me. And I may weep. And my heart may be on the ground. And I just want to cut the ropes and quit. I put my faith in God. And I will renew my strength like eagles. And I will fly through this storm. Paul went through adversity. Paul witnessed through adversity. And Paul worshipped through adversity. And he's not the only one. May I remind you this morning that it was God's very Son who faced prisons as well. And trials as well. And persecutions. And yes, even the bite of a snake. And for three hours, one Friday, darkness covered the land and the perfect storm of God's holy wrath was poured out on His Son, His only Son, for our sins. The diary entry on that day was nothing but a X. With the inscription, the light has gone out. I guess it's true. God doesn't treat His children the way we would treat ours. But that's because His purpose is greater than ours. A purpose that would be seen three days later when this storm would pass and Jesus would walk on dry land. And He would do so with a message. He would do so with the Gospel. He would do so with the greatest news in all the world. A message that says to those who are on board the ship of adversity, those who have no hope, those who just want to cut the ropes and quit, those who have been bitten time and time again by the serpent of sin, it is the good news of the gospel. It is the hope of Jesus Christ that he says to you, I am with you in the storm. I will not leave you in the storm. And I promise I promise you, I promise you, child of mine, you will arrive at home. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for this glorious truth. We need our perspectives on life changed. How often we see adversity and suffering as a distraction from the mission rather than being the mission. 
being that opportunity where we show our hope in you is real. And God, there are some here today, they're in the middle of that storm right now. There are some here today, and they may not even know it, but you're preparing them for that storm. There are some here that that storm has been lingering back in their past and they've never had freedom from it. There are some here who are in the storm without a Savior. And God, I'm asking you right now by your Spirit to come and do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives. Change our perspective. Change our heart. Give us hope and the good news of Jesus. There is a world all around us that is searching desperately for hope. And the only way we'll be able to reach many is by showing them what it's like to walk with you through the storms of life. That's mission. Lord, I pray this all in Jesus' powerful name, a man who faced adversity and never stepped away from the mission you'd called him to do. And we are grateful for that. It's in his name. Amen.